Hello, this is Rabbi Jeffrey Sachs of Atid with another edition of our Jewish Educators book podcast. In this episode, our staff members, Dr. Yoel Finkelman and Dr. Caroline Pizer, discuss life values and intimacy education, health education for the Jewish schools, which is a classroom-ready curriculum prepared by Tselem. Tselem is a special project of Yeshiva University's Center for the Jewish Future that develops what they call religiously sensitive resources and educational programming in the broad areas of intimacy and relationships. The book itself is aimed at grades 3 to 8, and it's a combination uh, teacher guide, uh, teacher guide textbook, workbook that students uh, can use, that can be used with students in Jewish elementary schools uh, on an array of issues related to health, sexuality, uh, values, intimacy, and in and of itself, of course, that is a significant and noteworthy um, addition to the field of Jewish education, and of course, something somewhat innovative and new. Uh, Doctors Pizer and Finkelman discussed the book and some larger issues related to Uh, sexuality and sexuality education and sex education in Jewish day schools. The book itself is distributed and available through Ketav and can be found on their website at ketavktov.com. So I'm uh, sitting here with uh, Dr. Pizer. Uh, looking at a volume that has recently been produced by Yeshiva University and distributed um, by Ktav, entitled Life Values and Intimacy Education, Health Education for the Jewish School. Um, and it is uh, written by Yocheved Debo based on her doctoral work uh, in education and family, sexuality, and values education uh, for Orthodox schools with uh, contributions uh, by Anna Walaski Rubel. Uh, as well as an introduction by Rabbi Kenny Brander um, and David Palkovitz and Jenny Rosenfeld, all of Yeshiva University. Um, and uh, I'd like to have this conversation with uh, Dr. Caroline Pizer uh, of Atid and a psychologist in private practice um, here in Jerusalem who really deals in her private practice with a lot of the graduates of the Orthodox educational system uh, and really understands in some ways has a unique perspective on how the students up to now have been prepared and trained and educated regarding life values, relationships, uh, intimacy education, sexuality, um, to talk about the novelty of this curriculum. As far as I know, it's the first of its kind that's ever really been produced for North American Orthodox education. Um, and to talk about some of its uh, important contributions, some of its limitations, some of the larger issues about um, gender relationships, sexuality uh, in um, orthodoxy. Um, so uh, can you describe a bit this, uh, this, um, this curriculum that's been put together? And okay, well, I'll, I'll start by saying that I'm very excited about the curriculum. First of all, I think that um, it's innovative in many ways, especially for the Orthodox uh, educational system, but I, I think even for m- uh, m- many uh, education systems. So the first thing that I'm excited about, which doesn't relate specifically to the intimacy part, is that I think that with the right training for the teachers who are doing this, 
this really changes the nature of what goes on in the classroom. I think that um, a lot of what students experience um, is that there's a lot of Jewish learning in the classroom, but that what's going on in their private lives is really separate from there. And for example, in my work, I see students, let's say, who come here for the year, and they'll tell me in passing about some of the things they're learning, but many times they're so preoccupied with their own personal issues. For example, if I'm thinking about a one-year student, what's going on at home? Let's say if the parents are divorced, that's a huge preoccupation. Or if there are family conflicts, uh, that's a huge one. Eating disorders is another one. Uh, depression, social relationships, and boyfriends. And this curriculum is something that is trying to teach students early on um, how to look at these kind of things, how to address it in a healthy way. It's also presenting a Torah perspective. So it's saying that this is not just for outside the classroom, this is inside the classroom. And it is changing what goes on inside the classroom. So that rather than the student feeling like my teacher's yapping on about you know something that's totally unrelated to me, but they don't get my life, and there's a real split between you know, well, we're learning a parak in Gemara, and we're learning this parak of Tanakh, but this really doesn't speak to my life, and I'm so preoccupied with these issues that are going on in my life, I can only listen with half an ear. This now takes the main issues of their lives and brings it into the classroom and says that your teachers and your peers can be a, can be a support and a place to talk about these issues. So it brings it together. Just for the sake of readers who don't have a copy of the, uh, of the volume in front of them, um, the, uh, the first volume that's been produced deals with grades 3 through 8, uh, and there's a projected uh, next volume to deal with the high school, grades 9 through 12, and it's a kind of circular, circular curriculum in which a number of issues, not only regarding uh, puberty and sexuality and relationships, but also regarding values, um, proper levels of assertiveness, how to speak to people, how to maintain relationships with people, um, how to define yourself relative to the group, uh, and the, the curriculum is really very user-friendly for the teacher uh, in the sense that each, it's not just a list of topics that need to be talked about. It's not just a list of sources that the teacher can bring in. It really tries to hold the teacher's hand. I'm sure I, as a teacher, would be very uncomfortable having to uh, deal with these issues. And it really kinds of, kinds of holds the teacher's hand and says, okay, you're dealing with this issue with a fourth grade classroom. Here are not only some sources and materials and resources, but here's some activities you can do. And it's a very um, informal, multi-sensory, um, not kind of paper and pen, uh, um, you know, write down the facts, but to give voice to the students, very user-friendly for the teacher. Uh, and that, I think, is what, uh, what Caroline was talking about when she talks about changing some right. structure. Right. I think that, I mean, if some of the things that you want to get to when I say, let's say, uh, that students are struggling with divorce, divorced parents. So early on, already starting from early grades, there's a discussion about family and about what goes on in a family and about communication and about parents and about love and about relationships and directly about divorce. If in the later grades you want to have a discussion about sexuality and what's allowed and what's not allowed, in the earlier grades they're talking about assertiveness, which also relates to saying yes and no about what you feel comfortable. They're talking about your body, becoming comfortable and familiar with your body, how it works, so that it's laying 
a lot of the building blocks for some of the issues that come later, that these are the earlier stages. Obviously in third grade they're not talking about sexuality. That's coming at an age when it's appropriate, in the onset of puberty. But they are laying the groundwork, and I think that's why it's called life values training, for relationships in general, with the, of which sexuality is placed within that context. And, and I think that that's also, even the way in which they set it up, it's a very important message. So I'm, I'm excited about what I hope it would do to the to the nature of how students view their teachers in the classroom. And also, you know, there's a strong emphasis in the book placed on how discussions are carried out and certain ground rules about respect for other students' perspectives, um, making students feel comfortable, encouraging openness, that I think really then builds year after year a place where students relate differently to their peers and feel that their peers are also a resource and a place for to get support for whatever they're going through, to open up about things that well, they're going through. Isn't there a way in which peer support for kids and for teenagers is almost inevitable? Meaning, uh, teenagers are often, well, here we're dealing primarily with grade school, but with kids and with, with teenagers in particular, there's a sense sometimes of almost partial alienation from the adult world, especially from their parents sometimes, even in healthy teenage development. And my sense is that at that time, there's always a sense in which the peer group becomes central. Yes and no. I think it's true. The peer group is central, and I think ideally most kids have their friends who, ache, who they can confide in. But I think there's also a, a, another thing that's going on with the cliques and uh, excluding certain kids and making fun, the in-group and the out-group. And I think that uh, a curriculum like this, which is starting so early on, teaching respect, communication, and encouraging students to share of themselves, I think creates a much stronger bond within the classroom. So that I think that even with, you know, uh, even with students in general in the classroom, there's a feeling that certain things can be shared, not just with your best friends and that it might also change uh, the level of uh, openness that students have to each other, tolerance, and kind of a sense of a shared community within the classroom, which is a direction that I personally would like to see education go and that we've been working in Atid within the, within the project that we're doing really on how classrooms can become a small community where students can really bring in the issues that they're struggling with into the classroom since it affects their classroom learning in any case and their ability to learn in class. I also think that you said that they turn to peers and that's inevitable, but I think that a teacher who's able to present the, this curriculum is really opening up a world of adults that the student can feel comfortable going, going to them with to discuss certain issues and problems that in the past They've seen their teachers, and certainly their religious teachers, perhaps, as people who cannot relate to the struggles that they're going through. There's a, a way in which any, any education of this type, any touching of this, these kinds of topics, in a school in general, and in a religious school in particular, has got to be walking a tightrope. Because, well, there's a number of levels at which that's true, but... Um, one of the levels is that the community has not only certain set values, uh, but also a great deal of diversity in their values. 
and a certain amount of um, that the values in these areas are very carefully uh, or very strongly held. And there's a certain concern that I don't want to hand over this kind of education to the school because even if the teacher is perfectly competent and even if the curriculum is fantastic, I, have, I as a parent, let's say, have very strong opinions about how to ought, ought to be addressed. And the most well-meaning um, uh, curriculum writer and teacher and principal is going to miss the mark. And in this area, if they miss the mark on interpreting a Rashi and Chumash, it doesn't bother me so much. But if they miss my personal mark or my sub-community's mark in dealing with an area like this, there's a potential for a lot of um, explosiveness or, or, or family school tension or irritation of parents and other stakeholders. You think there are ways to, well, first of all, how has this curriculum addressed that? And in general, how do you think strategically uh, schools and educators can try to touch that? Okay, I, th I think that the point you're making is a good one. I think actually probably parents are split. I think there, there are some that would probably be tremendously relieved and even excited that some of these topics are going to be addressed by the school because I don't know how many parents, uh, I would imagine it happens more so with mothers and daughters, less so with sons and fathers, but even there, go into this level of detail not just talking about the ins and outs of your body and the onset of puberty, which again, there are many mothers that don't, but even those that do and sit with their daughter before you know, she gets her period and talk about what goes on or maybe talk a little bit about safe sex, but here we're talking about a lot more broad issues uh, in terms of relationships and in terms of also even the level of detail. I mean, the, the book talks about masturbation. I, I don't know how many parents are talking to their children about masturbation. It's quite I a don't know how many topic. parents are going to be comfortable with the teacher doing it. That's either. true. Uh, at, at the same time, what you said is true, that you know, I think that a lot of parents have strongly held beliefs about this. And even if they don't address it directly, they may still have strong reactions about other people addressing it, addressing it directly in the way in which they do it. I do think that the that throughout the book there's a strong emphasis placed on working with the parents. That this is not something that should be done in isolation from the parents, but looking for ways to integrate the parents into the curriculum. Uh, one of the things that you know uh, struck me was say, when there was a discussion about anorexia, having an evening for mothers and daughters. I think that's an excellent idea, since I think so many of the messages about uh, food and weight and some of the underlying emotional issues of eating disorders, which have to do with um, needs and how much I can take for myself, and also are often connected to the mother-daughter relationship and issues around separating. That's fantastic that it would be done together with mothers and daughters in the room so that a discussion can take place between them and also that, that mothers can be aware of their role, both positively and negatively, in shaping their daughters body image and relationship towards food. So there's an example where you know they want to include the parent, but throughout the book there is an emphasis on thinking about ways to um, include the parents, presenting the curriculum to the parents, having, having an evening where you explain what it's all about. Uh, I think it would be important to have parents be able to ask questions, showing them parts of the curriculum in advance. I think those would be important parts of it. Um, and again, I also think that since it's starting early on and since it starts er in the earlier grades with broader topics, 
I think that that's kind of a softer uh, way of getting into these things. So I, I think that the, keeping the lines of communication open, not just passively the parents who want it, but actively encouraging the parents to be partners in this uh, process, I think, is, is very important in, in education in general. And that's another thing. Again, I th one of the things I like about this curriculum is not just what it's doing for this particular topic, but what it's doing to shift the education in general. Obviously, parents should be partners in education, but there's so few, you know, there's a sitter party in first grade, and there, there's, you know, the, here and there, there are, there are times when parents are invited in, and maybe some school have a mishmar Thursday night where the parents can come and learn. But to really involve the parents in a much greater way, in terms of thinking about the issues that are on their children's minds, I think is, is, again, very innovative and very exciting. Though often there's this paradoxical way in which the, pa the schools want the parents to be involved, the parents want the parents to be involved, but sometimes when you actually invite them, they don't actually make the effort to show up, which, which is especially when you're dealing with sensitive topics. You, you but again, might... I wonder, in the same way that I think that sometimes the schools and the teachers miss uh, engaging the students in the issues that are really bothering them and are teaching straight text without really addressing the, kid, the burning issues that are on kids' minds. Again, from a religious perspective, I think in certain ways also for the parents we're missing it. What do we call the parents in? Either you know, in the younger grades to watch a presentation that the kids are putting on, and in the older grades to join a mishmar. Or obviously if there's a problem, so to involve them in some issue that's been going on. But how often are parents brought in to discuss some of the real issues and given a format in which they could then engage. Even, let's say, parents who would like to talk to their kids about issues around intimacy but don't know how. Bringing them in, having some presentation, and then even having some structured way in which they then can talk to their kids, or just having even like that, which then gets the parents thinking, and then they'll take it further. So maybe part of the problem with engaging parents is also that, that not every parent wants to come to Thursday Night Mishmar just to sit and have a sheer, but if a mother and daughter are invited in to talk about, you know, mother-daughter relationships and food and the body, I, I, you, you might get a huge turnout. There's a broader question about a curriculum like this in which, um, in which there's a kind of school of thought that says schools are very good at doing what schools do and families are very good at doing what for ought to be very good at doing what families ought to do and there's a, a tendency almost a yitzhahara on the part of the schools especially religious schools within the orthodox community to look around at the community and say okay there are various kinds of ills, there are various kinds of gaps that need to be filled, there are various kinds of social problems, there are a whole bunch of issues, and we as the school are going to take it on our shoulders to, to try to address that. And there's a criticism of that approach that says, um, this is not the kind of thing that schools can and ought to be good at. Really, this is the kind of thing that parents and families and more... Um, and places where social relationships are more tight-knit and long-term, um, those are the institutions that ought to be dealing with much more of the values education, certainly sexual education. Um, and when schools try to do it, they end, up, they end up not only using resources in ways that they're not very good at, but they end up undermining their real mandate, which is 
even if you define it more broadly, really is learning of information and knowledge. Um, I know you have strong opinions about this, and I'm not totally convinced, but... Yeah, I, I, I would not view education like that, and certainly not religious education. I do not think that the center of religious education is imparting knowledge. Uh, period. I don't think that's what chinuch is. That's havarat meida. That's not chinuch. Chinuch is about shaping a person. That's what it's about. It's about shaping a person, and if we're talking about religious education, from a religious value system. But it is the person in its entirety. And so I, I, I fundamentally disagree with the, with the model that you're presenting about what education is. If education is about imparting information, then we are missing the boat about what we're doing. Well, because I'm not saying education is about that. It's not about just imparting schools. knowledge. No. That, that's a, I don't think that's what it's about. schools are, the claim is, and I have some sympathy for this, although not as much as the way I'm presenting it now, um, schools are ill-equipped to deal with um, anything more than... Uh, than the imparting of information. Oh, that's, what no, that's a different thing. No, no. I think that that also gets to another point about this curriculum. What they're equipped to do currently and what they should be doing are two separate questions. The whole idea of a mechanech in a classroom is the idea of going beyond the formal information and in the text. And that's a mechanech is something very much that you have here in Israel in the States. You have homeroom teachers. But what they're equipped to do and what they actually do, those are two separate things. I think one of the things about this curriculum, which I think, you know, here and there I might have uh, different ways of presenting certain things, maybe disagree, think certain things should be presented differently. But overall, uh, I think that, the, uh, that what's been presented here is certainly a great starting point and even beyond. Obviously, some of the units I think are excellent. I'm, well, I'll get into that in a minute, but to, not to get off topic, um, I think that um, Sorry about that. Okay, I think that the, the curriculum needs teachers who undergo a special training for this. And, this, and it's mentioned already in the curriculum that the teachers need to undergo special training. This is not something that the average teacher has been trained to do. How, first of all, um, as they mentioned a number of times in the curriculum, the teacher needs to feel comfortable, first of all, with the material and with themselves on these issues, and not every teacher is, and then also comfortable sharing of themselves and discussing these issues with the various ages, whatever age they're teaching. And again, some teachers would feel comfortable with third and fourth grade in that curriculum. They're not going to feel comfortable with teenagers talking openly about this issue. And then there's all, lots of issues about how to facilitate discussion, how to facilitate the group, how to create a safe atmosphere. Um, those are not things that I think come naturally to every teacher. As you said, a lot of teachers walk into a classroom thinking that their job is simply to get the material into the heads of the kids. Chemistry, there's a chemistry book, have to transfer the knowledge of chemistry from my head and this book into their heads. That's not the teacher who would be doing this kind of a curriculum. This is a whole different model of what education is about. And it's really looking beyond a certain amount of material and really to the larger person as a whole. 
and saying, no, chinuch is also about preparing a Jewish child for relationships and preparing them for knowing how to communicate well and for preparing them for building a healthy family, which involves how parents and children relate, which involves how spouses relate to one another, which involves emotional intimacy and which involves sexuality. This is really saying that that's what chinuch is about, preparing a total person for an orthodox, uh, healthy family life and not just about imparting knowledge about Chumash and Rashi and about the Gemara and about, it uses Jewish sources, but again, it uses it to address those issues. Is, is there a danger in, in trusting teachers to that extent? Meaning, let me, let me before I, you know, the teachers union uh, burns my house down. Um, what I mean by the question is as follows. 95% of the teachers are you know, if you give them the proper training and you give them the proper tools, we'll do a great job. Um, and there's X percentage of teachers, even if you think you're picking the best ones, there's a danger in which they're not trained as therapists. They're not trained as, as mental health professionals. Um, they think that they're comfortable talking about it, and yet something is going to rub them the wrong way. They don't have, um, they don't have a mirror that they can bounce off their own experiences and they may be subtly doing certain kinds of harms and date and, and causing all kinds of problems that they're not even aware of. They're perfectly well-meaning, but they're missing some of the professional tools that a mental health professional might get or that a For nurse sure. might get or that certain other kinds of, yes. of professionals would get. So that's where I would disagree with you. I would not say that 95% of teachers can be trained to do this curriculum. Definitely not. This really is, uh, this really requires a unique type of teacher. Not everybody, and I don't even think necessarily, I, I can't say, but certainly not 95% of the teachers are capable to do a curriculum like this because you do have to be a little bit of a psychologist and you do have to be a little bit of a nurse and you do have to be a little bit of a science person and you certainly have to have unusual, or uh, I would say very strong people skills. Uh, a very great ability to listen, openness, tolerance. I don't think that's all teachers. And I think that um, the training is key, but I also think that principal involvement in choosing which teachers are going to go for that training, and even perhaps if there is a formal training for this, that uh, there's a certificate at the end, and that those teachers who um, are not doing, are not seen to be, you know, suitable for this, even though they might think they are, are, are recommended and, and given feedback why, why they might not yet be suited. But again, I certainly would have principal involvement or administrative involvement in choosing the teachers who would be sent to do this kind of training. This kind of training is going to involve, for the teachers themselves, not just familiarity with this curriculum, but uh, it is going to involve certain knowledge of psychology that they're going to have to have and to know when to refer and which problems become too difficult and what you do when someone, when a student uh, opens up a problem in the classroom that's a little bit overwhelming for the rest of the students um, and how to address that and, you know, how to address some sticky issues. Someone reveals they were sexually abused during a discussion about sexual abuse. And that's not something that every teacher is going to know how to handle. And so certainly I think that this, while this curriculum is outstanding, the teacher component is vital to its success, and that is going to involve time and resources to train teachers 
to be in a position to do this kind of a curriculum properly. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I was struck in reading through this curriculum is that also going back to the Balancing Act, the High Wire Act I was talking about before, is that there are whole bunches of competing values that are at work at the same time. Uh, traditional Jewish values, contemporary Western values. I mean, I, I noticed in this particular example that there are extensive quotes from the great 1960s classic, Free to Be You and Me, about how you don't have to be tied into uh, uh, given gender roles and you can choose your own place within the gender roles. And uh, it's almost unthinkable that you could do a healthy, um, a healthy, gender and relationship education piece without strongly emphasizing the idea that it is legitimate not to fit into this stereotype. On the other hand, the Orthodox community, even the modern Orthodox community, has a great deal invested in some of those same gender stereotypes, um, or, or what are sometimes called traditional gender roles, although from an historical perspective that's problematic. But so. Can you comment both in general and specifically regarding the curriculum about how they try to, what's a good way to deal with those tensions in which you have multiple things you want to accomplish and you want to say, but they don't all quite fit in the same package? Right. So I think that that's, when I was reading over the curriculum, I think that those are some of the places where uh, I had the feeling like, uh, this wasn't to my liking, or this I might do slightly differently, or here I would put the emphasis, you know, exactly on that point of kind of how they blend the uh, Western values and the Torah values and which side they come down on. But I think that what you're pointing out in this tension is exactly the tension that modern Orthodox kids are facing. Um, that's different than in the Haredi world, they're not facing that tension. So you're right that those who are but not as directly, as and I think that the authors here are struggling with that tension, and I think that that tension is going to be felt, meaning even what you presented, how much, do you, I think even that's a topic for discussion, the Western, again, with higher grades, the Western notion of, you know, gender equality, role equality, and the Jewish, uh, the Orthodox, uh, separation of roles with regard to certain areas and a discussion about it. I, the mere fact that they're talking about it is already something new. Certainly now we have, you know, Jofa and places like that where these issues are discussed, but again on the adult level. And here we're bringing it down to the high school level and even earlier, but again I think like the high school level where I think that that's part of the discussion is not necessarily even ne giving the answer, but bringing up the tension and talking about where halacha, you know, seems to have no flexibility and where some of the points today are where certain things are changing as a result of these, this, this, uh, this tension or this influence of Western values of gender equality and halachic uh, norms where there are different, I don't say different roles, certainly different uh, mitzvot that relate to each of the genders. Um, I, think, I think that it is a, what, I, what I think is great is that these things are being addressed and I think that in the past what's happened is ex because of the very issue you raised, not knowing where do we balance it, they've been avoided. Let's take the issue of homosexuality. 
Uh, I was very excited to see that it, it was in the book, and I, was, I also was very impressed with how it was addressed. Uh, the seventh and eighth grade units, I was, I was really uh, impressed with the topics that are being discussed there and how they're being discussed. Uh, topics that are taboo, masturbation. You know, usually the attitude is, you know, don't talk about it, and if they do it, they're a, a, a candid discussion about masturbation and also about the halachot and the attitude in a lot of different areas within the book is that there's a halachic ideal that we strive for. It doesn't always mean we reach perfection, but we work on it. And I think that that, personally, I, that approach very much speaks to me. In other words, it's not coming down on, you can't do it, it's us, or I mean, obviously they are presenting that the halachic view is that one should not masturbate on a regular basis. And yet they're also presenting that this is a tremendous struggle and difficulty and putting it in the context of values that we strive to keep, each one according to their ability, it is an ideal. We're not saying you don't have, we're not going, coming on the side and saying, look, this is outdated, look, everybody, you know, teenage boys do this, and, you know, let's ignore halacha. And it's not saying, look, the halacha says it's us, I know you have that urge, but it's us, It's really addressing the struggle and saying that struggling is part of what it means to be an Orthodox Jew. You might not always be perfect but you don't lose sight of what your ideal is. And you're also human, so you struggle. I also like very much the discussion of homosexuality, a topic which is so frequently ignored. And even when it has been discussed, I've been at present at a few discussions at one-year programs, again, I don't think it was discussed with the sensitivity displayed here. Now, there's a lot of times, the, again, the approach is like, it's very difficult for people like this, we feel bad for them, but basically it's us and they have to control themselves. I think that really doesn't address the issue uh, in a way that speaks to students, certainly not students struggling with their own homosexuality, but also the other ones. And uh, I, I have seen students sent to me because these discussions have offended them or upset them, especially those who, have, uh, who might have a relative who is homosexual, um, but even other students um, are upset with the way that it was presented. I think here there really is, again, this kind of sensitive approach that reflects, on the one hand, the struggle that a person goes through and the ideal that we might strive for, but understanding and respecting that people are still struggling and not everybody reaches that ideal. And, and I very much like that, uh, that presentation. And I like that it's being discussed in eighth grade already. Good, so I would like to uh, thank Dr. Peiser for her time and her insight into this important development. I'd like to thank Yocheved Dubo and Anna Rubel for putting this volume out. And again, people might agree with certain parts or disagree with certain parts, but I think that this is going to be a curriculum that's going to get people talking. Ideally, it's going to get teachers and schools to be addressing the issues that are really on students' minds. It's going to be getting kids prepared for some of the real issues of life and orthodox life, which is relationships and the family. And I think that it's going to generate, again, whether this is the final volume, whether they encourage people to bring their suggestions, they encourage schools to pilot the project, they have piloted and gotten feedback, so I think that whether you agree with each detail or disagree, it is certainly jump-starting the efforts in this direction, and that's very exciting.